Hi, this is Nick, and you're listening to episode two of the Photon Detector podcast. Today, I'm going to go over a short list of four books that have had a remarkably positive uh, impact on my art-making process. First up is Art and Fear, Observations on the Perils and Rewards of Art-Making by David, I'm not sure if this is Bales or Bayless, it's B as in Bravo, A-Y-L-E-S, and Ted Orland. So I'm going to kind of read the descriptions from Amazon here, because they actually all pretty much do a great job of summing them up. This is from uh, the introduction. This is a book about making art, ordinary art. Ordinary art means something like all art not made by Mozart. After all, it is rarely made by Mozart-like people. Essentially, statistically speaking, there aren't any people like that. Geniuses get made once a century or so, yet good art gets made all the time, so to equate the making of art with the workings of genius removes this intimately human activity to a strangely unreachable and unknowable place. For all practical purposes, making art can be examined in great detail without ever getting entangled in the very remote problems of genius. The Amazon introduction continues. Art and Fear explores the way art gets made, the reasons it often doesn't get made, and the nature of the difficulties that cause so many artists to give up along the way. The book's co-authors, David Bales and Ted Orland, are themselves both working artists grappling daily with the problems of making art in the real world. Their insights and observations, drawn from personal experience, provide an incisive view into the world of art as it is experienced by art makers themselves. This is not your typical self-help book. This is a book, uh, this is a book written by artists for artists. It's about what it feels like when artists sit down at their easel or keyboard in their studio performance space trying to do the work they need to do. First published in 1994, Art and Fear quickly became an underground classic. Uh, word of mouth response alone, now enhanced by internet posting, has placed it among the best-selling books on art making and cre- creativity nationally. Art and Fear has attracted a remarkably diverse audience, ranging from beginning to accomplished artists in every medium, and including an exceptional concentration among students and teachers. Uh, can't say enough about good stuff about this book. I think I uh, first became aware of it in a comment discussion between two other photographers that I uh, whose work I really enjoy on Flickr. Um, I think I think one of them was Brett Harrington, and I just kind of casually mentioned the title. I looked it up, bought it, and it was one of those things I read and went, oh, shit, this is very good and exactly what I need. Um, this is one of those books I get more and more out of every time I, I read it, so I try to read it every 8 to 12 months or so. Uh, I'm going to list prices for these things. They're all in the U.S. dollars. The Kindle edition is seven dollars and eighty nine cents, and if you want a paperback, it's eight thirty one. Then uh, one of the co-authors, Ted Orland, wrote a follow-up book on his own called "The View from the Studio Door: How Artists Find Their Way in an Uncertain World." And here's the description. In the perennial bestseller, Art and Fear, Ted Orland with David Bayliss examined the obstacles that artists encounter each time they enter their studio and stand before a new blank canvas. Now in the view from the studio door, Orland turns his attention to broader issues that stand to either side of that artistic moment of truth. 
an attacks marked by grace, brevity, and humor. Orland argues that when it comes to art making, theory and practice are always intertwined. There are timeless philosophical questions like how do we make sense of the world that address this very nature of art making, as well as gritty real world questions like is there art after graduation that artists encounter the moment they're uh, off the starting blocks and pr producing work on a regular basis. Simply put, this is a book of practical philosophy. As a teacher and working artist himself, Orland brings authentic insight and encouragement to all those who face the challenge of making art in an uncertain world. The breadth of material covered is reflected in chapters that include making sense of the world, art and society, the education of the artist, surviving graduation, making art that matters, the artistic community, and more. The view from the studio door is the perfect companion piece to art and fear, and will appeal to a similar and already established art audience of students, working artists, teachers, and professionals. Uh, is what it is. It, it kind of picks up where uh where art and fear left off and is just insanely practical and uh orland himself is a photographer uh he's done a lot of straight photography but also does a lot of holger work next up is the war of art by stephen pressfield uh not the art of war and that's stephen with a v as in victor s-t-e-v-e-n p as in papa r-e-s-s-f-i-e-l-d Sorry, price for uh, view from the studio door is five seventy nine in Kindle and eight ninety six in paperback. So back to the War of Art. Think of the War of Art as tough love for yourself. Since two thousand two, the War of Art has inspired people around the world to defeat resistance, to recognize and knock down dream blocking barriers, and to silence the naysayers within us. Resistance kicks everyone's butt, and the desire to defeat it is equally as universal. The War of Art desire, uh, identifies the enemy that every one of us must face, outlines a battle plan to conquer this internal foe, then pinpoints just how to achieve the greatest success. Though it was written for writers, it has been embraced by business entrepreneurs, actors, dancers, painters, photographers, filmmakers, military service members, and thousands of others around the world. Uh common thread between these is they're all just very practical kind of boots on the ground uh you know a maps of things that we're likely to encounter uh along the way that i think a lot of artists get kind of wrapped up in this oh i'm a special snowflake i'm the first person who's who's ever encountered this um i'm so special and no one could possibly understand me and when you break it down and you know read the maps in these books uh they seem nearly universal i mean the the, the things that i've encountered and uh you know other artsy fartsy friends uh, have come up with it's like it's it's all the same shit we all hit the same stuff all the time um and there are kind of practical ways to kind of just get unstuck and get out of your own way and get on with it which is really cool um you know none of these are particularly like let's nurture your inner child kind of things they're just about getting out of your own way and getting back to work last up is a book called concom conflict communication a new paradigm in conscious communication by rory miller this book is not directly about art making uh at all 
at least not on the surface, but it is hugely applicable to that and life at large. This is one of the most useful books I've ever read uh, about anything. In fact, if I could, if I had like a chit that I could cash in and I would be able to get everyone to read one book, I would use it on this. Uh, I really cannot overstate the practical usefulness of this book. Uh, the description is very brief. Uh, CONCOM, Conflict Communications, presents a functional taxonomy to see, understand, and manipulate the roots of conflict. If you have ever wondered why your boss ignored a suggestion that could save millions of dollars, or why you have the same argument again and again with your spouse, the answers are here, as well as the tools to do something about it. Uh, pretty succinct, but that's totally true. Um, and how this relates to art making is that, you know, that this is a functional taxonomy of conflict. Most of the problems that I run into in art making are not, they're not technical. I mean, yeah, sometimes I want to do something that my cam, the camera I'm using just isn't physically capable of, but most of it is about internal and external conflict. That's the stuff that really screws me up. And so a functional taxonomy of conflict, you can imagine would be incredibly useful for this. Um, you know, and that, I think that type of be being able to figure out what's actually going on in all these stages of conflict is, is just so practical and so useful. Um, you know, that goes to everything from equipment selection. Um, and you know, God help you if you ever ask for equipment advice online, but, uh, you know, it actually can help you make sense of that. Cause you can go, Oh, well, this person is you know doing some, just representing their tribal affinity. And, you know, there are tons of tribal affinities, um, you know, that both act out in public and in private, you know, for instance, like, Oh, I'm a rangefinder shooter or I'm an SLR shooter. Or I'm large format or toy camera, or I'm a film shooter, or a digital shooter, you know, whatever. Or, you know, we kind of get a lot of identity stuff wrapped up in this. And, as I think I might have mentioned in the last podcast, you know, there's, it is sort of an open question to me as to whether or not all art making and consumption is just a big identity exercise. Uh, but as we're the ones creating stuff, it helps to achieve our goals of what we're trying to make. Uh, if we have a rational kind of human level of approach to that. You know, for instance, you know, if you have a, a picture in your head, there are that you're trying to, to get out. There are certain rational steps that need to be taken for that to happen. Um, and in that sense, a lot of our these kind of you know tribal and social and group affinities can get in our way, you know, like maybe what you really need to achieve this look that you're trying to do is digital even though you're a film shooter, um, you know, or, uh, sorry, phone buzzed and that kind of thing. Or, you know, if you want handheld low light street photography, you know, you might be a large format person, but, uh, you know, maybe what you really need there is a rangefinder. So having a functional tool to help you, uh, 
figure out what's going on and that sort of thing is really useful. Also on the other end, you know, to me, making art is one kind of discrete process and then figuring out what to do with it afterwards is another, uh, you know, whether that's just showing it to anyone ever in any form, uh, putting it online, trying to get a gallery show, uh, selling prints on your own, all that sort of thing. There are big, in my experience, potentials for conflict and stumbling blocks and things that, that stop us, um, at kind of every step along the way. So this has been really, really useful for helping me just kind of unfuck my own head about this. Uh, price on this one is eight ninety nine. This one is available as a Kindle book only. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't do the prices on War of Art. War of Art is seven thirty nine Kindle, and paperback is ten seventy five. So if you were to buy the Kindle versions of all four of these books, you would spend a grand total of thirty dollars and six cents. Uh, I cannot begin really to overstate the incredible cost to benefit ratio involved in that. I mean, when you consider that, uh, you know, what does that get you these days? One and a half, maybe two rolls of, uh, of film and processing and maybe proof prints and scans. And, uh, I can tell you that, you know, these books have given me orders of magnitude more benefit than, uh, you know, than any, one and a half to two rolls of film ever has. So uh, to me, these are fantastic investments. Uh, they're, you know, I said it about art and fear, but it's actually true of all of them for me. Uh, I get more out of them, out of each of them every time I read them. So, you know, for 30 bucks that it's just a total no brainer to me. All right. That's going to do it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.